Welcome to The Room, where we talk about the hard parts of leadership that every great leader goes through, but no one wants to talk about. I'm Jenny Dufresne, host of The Room podcast and CEO of Leaders Transform, a business growth training firm. I am a global leader, former United States Marine, international best-selling author, community, and business leader. The Room is your safe space. We'll talk about the things that are difficult for leaders, the tough stuff that leaders aren't willing to be vulnerable about, but we really need to. So come on in, close the door, join me in the room. I know leaders and I know leadership. Welcome back to The Room, that podcast where leaders talk about the things that we often don't want to talk about but we really need to. <laughs> I'm Jenny Dufresne, the host, and I'm really excited to bring to you today, Dr. Marie-Helene Pelletier. She has a very dynamic background, and I think as a leader uh, who has led at high levels, uh, she's going to really resonate for those of you that are in the workplace and working with a lot of great people. So she's a workplace psychologist, as well as she holds an MBA. So what's powerful about that to me is that she understands both the psychology and the psychological impacts and effects of humanness, as well as business. And so when humans show up to business, what happens? Uh, she's had a number, a, a long career in uh, corporate environments, uh, working in high level leadership positions. And so that's even more powerful for the perspectives that she'll be sharing with us today about creating healthy work environments that really support the mental well-being and mental health of all folks. So Dr. Peltier, did I capture that accurately? Yes, Jenny, and call me MH. MH, all right, MH. All right, so fantastic. As I said earlier, I made sure I practiced to, to, to have your pronunciations correct. So as we start this conversation today, one of the things that um, that I'm curious about is you started in a corporate environment and I don't recall from your background, if you, you didn't start immediately as a psychologist, or maybe you did, but what led you, you know, your path, what were the things that you, I'd say maybe the crossroads in your, in your professional career that led you to do work, this type of work, uh, in, a, in, in, in work environment, in corporate environments? Mm. It's a, combination of following my nose opportunities and um, being open to new things that come up my way that turns out could be a good uh, or an interesting adventure to consider so in so a few of those sort of decision points I guess one of them early on um I lived and work in a remote northern northern area of Quebec, uh, so a province on the east coast of Canada. And um, in that area, 20 years ago, so prior to <laughs> a lot of uh, remote virtual work and all these things, access to qualified services was fairly challenging. This then led to moving to British Columbia to uh, continue my studies and ended up being uh, studying the effectiveness of telehealth. So at the, now is obvious, obviously, providing <laughs> services via video conferencing. At the time, I had to explain it every single time. People were considering this research ambitious, which at the time, being ESL, English at Second Language, I thought this was a compliment. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ambitious in women sometimes. Mm. <laughs> oh, and in research also. Oh, like, I said, okay, you're right. Traditional piece. Right. So 
But anyway, I did it. But because this research at the time required a lot of funding, because I could not use the internet, it was not fast enough to transmit video and audio data. So I had to have a lot of funding. I had to have a large team of people working with me who I could not pay. I had to retain them as volunteer for a full year. Basically, that led me to enjoying management. And so then I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to do an MBA. That's that, that. And then I started in very junior, like managing a call center type leadership role. Mm. Totally not cool, not senior, not, <laughs> not anything really, but I loved it. And then grew in these types of roles uh, until, you know, going into chief officer roles and then working with uh, large insurance carriers and, after a couple of decades of this, then starting my own business where I do mostly speaking, the executive coaching and still have a small practice as a psychologist. That's fantastic. I love, I love, I, I think one of the things that's really powerful is that sometimes we'll hear someone who has in your, in your particular situation, uh, it's a PhD and an MBA and people are like, oh, like that person must just, you know, have dropped into the world with all of this. And the reality is, is that we all, it's a journey and it's a winding journey typically, right? So it's when it's sort of saying yes to those opportunities as either the doors open, the door is partially cracked, or we're like, oh, I wonder what's behind that door. Let me push through it. Um, and we build these, you know, we build these backgrounds and careers. And so I, I want to just actually go back to something that you said about call centers and managing in a call center. Because I think when we, at least my, I've had some uh supporting, we've supported leaders in call centers through our company. And one of the things that I recognize is that it can be a high stress, thankless on both sides. I think the leadership side, as well as the employee, the team member side, high stress, thankless, and difficult, I think, because you have people with all kinds of different skill sets and motivations. So what was something that you saw then that sparked your curiosity about mental well-being in 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 either the workplace at at large or mental well-being of leaders who are managing very stressful conflict laden environments ah so many things i probably had examples to answer this every day <laughs> literally seeing Right, the the resilience that people needed to to do this, the um, the amazing skills that yes, the diversity of people in the, these types of roles was uh, fairly amazing and complementary. Um, so there were a number of things. One that I would say remained over time, and I, I sometimes even gave that specific example to others and reminded it to myself <laughs> as a leader over time. So in a call center, um, we're all, everyone is tied to the schedule, right? We need people to answer the lines and there are high call volume times and all these things. So it's extremely, from a logistics perspective, it's a, it's a um, we're very interconnected that way the team is. And so as the leader of this team, then often, or previous people or other people around me would say, how do you manage winter holidays, for example, where everyone wants to be off at the same time and all these kinds of things. And out of no particular reason, the way I approached it when I started that role is I just said to everyone, tell me what's your ideal, what days you want off, some of you may want to take whatever you tell me. Um, and they all did. And it all worked out. But 
I think if I had tried to make it work, I would have complicated it. I just went for, let's start from what you ideally want, because who knows, it may work out. Like, And it right, turned out, right. yes, it did. Some of them were happy to be at work when it's different, quiet, no one else on the streets, easy to come to town, whatever. Some of them were like, oh, I've got family these days, but not these other days, or I need a break from them these days, whatever. Like it all literally worked out. And yay, fantastic. I think over time, I came back to this a few times because it reminded me of the importance of involving the team. This was, of course, just about time off and that kind of thing. But this notion of not taking everything on your shoulders, thinking you need to drive or manage or make things happen, and instead turning it to the team, which, yes, worked out logistically, but it was not just that. Over time, it was also something we did for all kinds of things. We've got a problem, let's talk about it. I'm not looking to solve everything. I can't and probably won't be the best person anyway. Let's do this together. And now, of course, we know um, very much from research that uh, um, allowing control, involvement, influence are, are things that will contribute to a team that's more psychologically healthy and safe and therefore contributes to everyone's um, mental health. I love this, and it reminds me of a, of a couple of things. One, it's about kind of the style or models of leadership that have been, and I've talked about this on other podcasts, the models of leadership that have been typically and traditionally reinforced, and that's been a command and control. I am leader, hear me roar, I know all things, I solve all problems. And I think that that model probably wasn't effective in the 40s, 50s, and 60s and before, um, but I think that it today it's even more arduous. And one of the things that you talk about is the the successful professional that you know pushes the envelope that and and this is where I used to do this, comes to work sick, works excessively long hours, and that's all considered to be a badge of courage and a badge of honor. Pulling all nighters is like, you know, like you won the Super Bowl championship or, you know, it's, it's a big deal. And it's, it's the thing that people run around and tout, but can you talk about our current work environment, which I think uh, technology has actually uh, eliminated brain breaks or brain downtime, right? Because we feel so pulled to do these things, but can you talk about how our current environment is affecting, whether you want to speak to leaders specifically, but how is our current environment affecting people's mental well-being um, and that, the current work environment specifically? Like, how is that affecting folks' mental well-being? So, number one, it is affecting um, because this is a system. So, even it, you know, if we're here as an individual and do all the things we can do to, for example, optimize our resilience and work performance and own mental health, which I definitely say we have to optimize this as much as we can. That being said, here as individuals, we're within a team, we're within an organization, we're even within a country, we're within an era in this moment on the planet. And so all of these elements of the larger system are influencing us. So there is an influence. Now, and I say this as number one, because sometimes, again, in the highly capable, high performing, high performing leader, we almost think 
that we're this self-contained bubble that is independent, immunized situation from everything else. (laughs) And no, we're not. And we're going to be stronger if we keep in mind that no, 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 there is an impact, there is an influence. And so, okay, the influence is there. One of the ways that this influence is there, and you've alluded to this, is specifically the the culture of with of the profession we're in, the role we associated we associate with, that being a leader potentially, and these this culture basically refers to beliefs that exist, some of which we have adopted, incorporated, and that guide our decisions. So if say we are in many in high performing roles and high leadership roles will be in a culture that in some ways, sometimes more than others, but in some ways is um, saying things that you were referring to. We need to work all the time. We need to be right. fabulous at everything. We need to be on at all times. And yes, with the technology, it's possible and all these things. And if all we do is adopt the belief and keep going, it's almost un- unsustainable um, at one point or another, because what right. we're doing is depleting. So how mm-hmm. long can we deplete for? Depends on how high the baseline was when we started. Right. But this is not, there is a limit here. This is not like an endless, endless source of energy, ability to focus, ability mm-hmm. to make decisions, all this. And so therefore, what needs to happen at some point, because it's not sustainable forever, is to actually step back, recognize the reality of this belief that's around, that's part of the culture of this role, this industry, this whatever we are in, and say, how am I going to navigate this? I still love to deliver, to be high-performing, and all these things. Yes, that's staying, of course. And how am I going to shift this to position it in a way that I can sustain and stay fabulous in the long run? And the key sometimes is, Leaders almost see it as a dichotomy. Either I'm here, this high-performing right. person that takes care of nothing right. else than work, or I'm, I don't know, doing yoga all day, every day. And of right. course, they can't do yoga all day, every day. So therefore, they keep working. Right. No, it's just a slight shift. Well, I think that's a, a, a on the sort of on the individual, you know, as we're talking, speaking about the individual aspect, but it's inside all of these layers of um, other impacts. It, you you kind of said it. It's difficult for leaders to either to even a be able to take a step back to take perspective, or to figure out what's what 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 should I stop doing in the you know the massive numbers of hours that I'm doing it now, and then how do I invent something new or different? And so I like for the purpose of people who are sitting here going, yeah, okay, I'm raising my hand. I'm, I'm that person. I'm high performing. I'm, you know, successful. I'm everybody counts on me at work to be the, the, you know, the, the, the person who takes everybody up the hill to the mission. And, but what's the conversation that you, or, you know, what are like one or two things that you would say to someone who has that discussion internally, what would you say that the two things that they could start doing to be able to figure out and get some perspective on how things are going in their lives or in their work life. Yes. Yes. Well, I, and I can explain how I, I got there and, and mm-hmm. why I would answer Absolutely. 
sort of when it, I think if I said, if I had to answer the, your question with just one or two things, then I would say the one or two thing that needs to happen is you need to find, you need to create space for you to reflect for a moment. And so some people do this by booking a time with an executive coach. That's what's going to protect that time. Someone's going to guide them through the thinking and it will force them to have this one hour, at least, to start thinking. Sometimes that's how it happens. Sometimes some people like to journal. They'll just put it down on paper. That's where it goes. Sometimes it's during an activity. Next time you go for a run, no music, no podcast in your ears, just go. And that's where the processing will start happening. So it looks different for different people. But the short answer is you need to step back and look at what's going on. So that's the one, if I have to say one thing, that's what I would say. Then if I go into what do we do during this time, how do you organize your thinking if you do it on your own, for example? Do you want me to say a bit about some of the ideas? Sure, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And that's literally, Jenny, what I put in the book because Mm -hmm. that's what I've been doing with my clients and so many of them saying, "Ah, wish I knew this earlier. And realized how it wasn't that complicated, but it changes changes things. So then I thought, well, let's see if we can help some people do that. Right. In the book, I guide people through a brief exercise to collect your values in writing. So that goes there. Collect information about realistic perspective on the demands you're facing right now. And I say realistic because high performers very consistently will minimize the level the amount, the size of the demands they're facing. They'll even disregard many of them. It goes I absolutely with- agree. <laughs> Hello. Right. I've right. been, yeah, been, yeah, been there. <laughs> it's in part because we're optimistically biased, which mm-hmm. helps us move forward, be fearless. You know, mm-hmm. yes, we're going, we'll figure it out. All of this is very positive and pushed a bit too far gets into the minimizing the reality. And then we don't have good visibility, which of course does not lead to the best decisions. So clarity on this, clarity on our overall current context. And then we can have a plan that makes sense. And all of this came because one day with one of my clients, they were so not connecting with the need to invest in this case, their resilience, And I had to go with a business analogy of saying, you know, if we were in a business right here and we wanted to launch a new something, product, service, would we just have this great idea and launch it? Or would we have this great idea and then look at who else is offering this? How much are they charging for it? Who's buying it? What forces in the market may impact this next year in three years? We would do all this. We would look at the context. And so same thing here. If we're going to shift how we're handling our resilience, it's not going to take forever. Building a strategy is not a forever activity. Mm-hmm. No one in business likes anything forever. So no, right. it doesn't take that long. But it does require a bit of structured thinking to collect the information we need so we can create a plan that will be customized to you in your current context. I think that's really uh, very, very powerful. And the 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 power of of reflection 
uh, and it's not, it's, it's the, re, it's really that internal conversation is really powerful. It, 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 I think we sometimes minimize it because we're like, oh, journaling's not going to help me or, well, who needs to do journaling or who needs to sit and, you know, have quiet time or even draw or color. Like those are some of my go-tos back in along the way and still today. Um, but because it allows for almost a, a meditative state, but like you're not sitting there trying to focus on your breathing and quieting your mind, right? It, it by virtue of what you're doing, it helps. And I think that is something that, uh, as I was saying earlier, that I've been reflecting on the changes in the work environment just it, since I've been a professional, which has been a long time, predating the internet and tech and the I mean, laptops and phones that you could get email on and laptops that, you know, so there's no boundaries really anymore with work or work related things. And I realized that that was, that's been one of the biggest things that has gobbled up time and has put the greatest, I think, decision debt on our, you know, especially not just leaders, but I think anyone in professional environments, it's, it's the greatest kind of drag on our mental capacity or our mental bandwidth is that we really don't ever have a break. Television, you used to have four channels. <laughs> and if you couldn't get off the couch and turn the little clicker, this is before the remote, uh, you know, you you just had that channel. And then it went off. For those of you that might remember, when it was around 10 o'clock, it was white snow, white noise. Literally, there was nothing there to watch. So you went to sleep. And that's not the case now. So we're just constantly, I think, uh, our brains don't have time to, 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 to decompress from our day and we don't have time to reflect on that. Um, so we've been talking MH about, about the individual and I know your expertise, you have the, your executive coaching practice and um, you know, which is, which is more focused on individuals, but you also have a part of your, your work and your practice and your expertise, which is around organizations and specific, specifically work, uh, workplace sort of wellness, not wellness, but workplace mental wellness, I guess, strategies or environments. Can you talk us? So if we have here a leader who's going, oh my gosh, yes. And I see the 20 people who are here who are, you know, leading in this company, I can see we, we have a, tr we have a problem. So one, one question is what is an example of a, of an organization that maybe you've seen that's in trouble? What are some indicators that would say an organization is is not resilient, uh, does not have a resilience plan, which is the name of your 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 new book, uh, and is really struggling? What are some indicators that you would that you would uh, share? Yes, it's a it will vary between the different size of organizations because mm -hmm. a very, very large organization typically will have an HR function. There, there will be a number of HR partners in it. They will have established a number of metrics that allow us to get a sense of how people are, people are doing. Things like um, uh, levels of engagement, uh, possibly turnover rates, uh, levels of uh, people needing to be off work. How long are they off work for? Different things like this. In smaller organizations, sometimes there isn't even an HR in-house. Maybe we connect with one as needed, but that's it. Uh, or we're not even there yet. So it will vary. Um, but some of the 
ultimately we're here to do something related to the business and if things are going decently well we will be performing we will be happy to do what we're doing we'll have the energy to sustain the demands the changes we'll be agile we'll have ideas we'll be creative innovative all these things if you're starting to wonder if things are going well they are likely not you're likely picking up on signs of people being disengaged turning over whether you have official metrics for it or not and so in terms of what do you do next also will vary because if you are in an organization that has an hr function they may or may not but that would be the first place to at least ask um, if they have a mental health strategy because usually our organizations of course will have a business strategy right and looking at right. their goals to reach all this and all that more and more organizations will have a health strategy often it starts with a physical health strategy yeah. usually the second pillar that comes here it depends on the country either it will be the mental health strategy or it will be the financial health strategy in the u.s financial comes a bit more as a second in canada um uh, mental health comes a bit more as second but overall ultimately we want all three because they're interrelated so physical, mental, and financial. and But as a leader, you want to connect with your HR function, learn what they have at this point, even if they are earlier on their journey and they only have tactics at that point, they don't have a strategy yet, just actions, because you don't have time to create that strategy here. And even if you did, it will not necessarily be aligned with what exists. And therefore, it's not going to optimize the movement that you could get as an organization. So whether what they chose to focus on makes sense or, you know, aligns with what you, your thoughts are, it almost will be more efficient for right now to pause your recommendation, share it with them, but join the movement that they've started because you'll get more out of this at this point and it will evolve over time. Large organization. I find it interesting. So I just wanted, so I find it, I, I'm, I'm curious as I was listening to you, I'm wondering like I've interviewed a couple of folks who there's the physical wellness, you know, I think, especially here in the U S there's the physical wellness, but I'm curious about the mental health wellness because or strategy, because I think that's an entirely different kind of focus area. Yes. Yes. Um, so curious. So in terms of what we would do, so then people, what they would do there is they would say, okay, if we were to optimize the overall mental health of our workforce, what kinds of things would we want to do? So that's the, the direction of that conversation. And often they think they're doing nothing and they're like, oh, we're starting from zero and all that. As we're having conversations, very often there are things that have been done already. If nothing else, Jenny, a lot of the actions we've been taking on the physical health side also have positive impacts on the mental health side. And sometimes the first entry door in an emerging mental health strategy is to increase literacy, increase conversations within the workplace about number one, the importance and the benefits of increasing mental health. Often we want to start with the door that most people connect with, which is our performance in the workplace. There are many other benefits, of course, but that, that's the main reason we're here. So we can start with that door. Everyone connects with it, makes sense, get good data. Okay. Um, 
and then helping them see how some of the action, the actions we've been taking on the physical health side will also help us on the mental health side. So we're so we need to go from where we are, right? Yeah, if right now we've not been focusing at all on it, you would build a strategy that includes a pillar probably focused on increasing literacy and education. Maybe there would be a pillar that's focused on the integration of physical and mental health because that's what we've done last and that makes sense is good next step. So it always starts from where we are, start building from there, but these are some examples of what we would do if we were at that stage, for example. Awesome. And apparently my dog has decided to kick in. So of course, if you Hello. can hear her in the background, she's joining and joining our conversation. Um, so we talk about mental health strategies and I know during the pandemic, we, a lot of organizations are really caught by the, like we're caught without a strategy. And so I know there was a rush to put together strategies and focus, and some companies did it well, some did it terribly, some didn't do it at all. Um, I'm curious now, we're essentially a year out, I guess, of the, quote, end of the pandemic. What are you seeing in happening inside of organizations when it comes to mental health? We're continuing uh, the conversations, uh, and we're continuing the conversations because part of what we want to keep in mind is that there was a pandemic, agreed, tail end of it, uh, like you described. And really what the pandemic represented was at a high level, a chronic stressor, right? So something that is a demand over a prolonged period of time. And the reality is now we're having other chronic stressors, things going on in the world, impacting some of us, things coming on for, for all of our lives, roles at work, and also personal lives. This will require a lot of adaptation, a lot of agility, and therefore, even if even for those who see it fairly positively, for most people it's a combination, um, but whether we see it fairly positively or not, it still represents a demand. So the reality is that as we're looking at our mental health strategy as an organization, and in very large ones, you'll even have subsets of mental health strategy for different departments, like a call center, for example, typically will have its own because it's such a different, unique environment. But that's in part what we're turning ourselves towards, always acknowledging the reality of the demands we're still facing. So yes, pandemic still there, not, you know, tail end, yes, but not zero there. Obviously, COVID still exists. And other stressors coming in and making sure we acknowledge this and similar tools. Our, how can we increase our literacy on understanding, for example, the psychological impacts of Gen AI coming to us? So it's a continuous, just like a business strategy, right? It evolves over time, considers the demands that we're facing now and continue to um, continue with its journey. Awesome. So in your book, The Resilience Plan, is it written for the individual or for the company or how do you, and then, so I'd love for you to kind of answer that, but also then walk us through your vision for the book and maybe one or two things in the book, you know, what, what, how will it help an individual or a company or an HR function be able to start to create more resilience? We talk a lot about resilience and leadership I'd love to hear how your book intersects with that or extends beyond that and really helps start to build that resilience inside of work, the workplace. Yes. So 
The book itself is talking to you, the individual leader, the high-level professional who is accomplishing so much on a daily basis. But at some point, you need something to give you an edge. And you know you've been fairly resilient, but you've been thinking that you could just assume it's going to be there when you need it or wing it whenever you need it kind of thing, only to realize that actually, no, like, we could see burnout from here. Like, you know, we could we could see it. Some of us have visited it. Some of us are looking at it. Some of us know people who have gone through it, but it's like, it's around. And so what we want to have, argue in the book and done with so many people so far, is that we want to build a customized strategic resilience plan for each of you so that you can bring your best to your situation, manage this, influence the overall system. Sometimes we can, or make this other decisions if you need to, but we'll need this to be as high as we can to be able to think even. And so it is for the individual recognizing that we are a part, sometimes a leader of a team. There is a chapter just for team resilience towards the end. Um, and we're part in a, of an overall system, the organization. And so in this book, because you cannot have all the conversations all in one book, you have to actually make choices, Jenny. So I had to make choices. This is the choice I made um, in part in, you know, impacted by uh, the experience I've had working with so many fabulous uh, leaders that were so at risk of um, getting into that trap there. So it is for the individual, this one. And it has it's a fairly concise book. So in terms of, you know, what do we do with a book like this? It's concise. If you've got a longer flight, you can like read it and get out with your plan when you get out. Oh, nice. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Exercises are short, five minutes, two minutes, 10 minutes. Great. The longest is 10 minutes. Uh, questions at the end of the chapters for self-reflection, if you wish, uh, or, and even executive summaries. So you can jump to that. Oh, nice. You nice. So it's, it's, I know you. <laughs> I've right. Been right. Yes, <laughs> how we all think. So that's how it's built to talk to you. And um, it has exercises that will guide you literally to actually write those values down, write those demands down. All of these things are taking you five to 10 minutes. You can take longer if you want to, but you can't. And I've done it with people before. And, um, and getting towards the end, literally, to having your strategic plan for now. Usually it depends on how much your life is changing, but Sometimes people are looking out for three to four months kind of thing. And the plan will be will look similar to a strategic plan you would have in the workplace. Usually three high-level strategic pillars, like we were talking about earlier, maybe right. increasing my boundaries, increasing my attention to my relationships, increasing, um, it depends from people to people, but whatever it is that given your current situation, you're going to focus on along with tactics, in this case, behaviors, that you will implement. But here's the thing, the, the, and I'll protect you from this in the book, but that's the thing. None of these actions are big ones. They are so small. They're very much like the next yeah. step you need to take. So small, you can take them for sure in the next 48 hours. Nice. Huh? So it's not- Fantastic. Huge. It's very, it's small, but doable, which then means you will do it. You will right. have the satisfaction that you did that. You'll move in the right direction. It increases mm -hmm. your, the technical word is sense of self-efficacy, but yes, right. that's what it right. does. Helps the brain stay with the program. 
And then in three months, you're ready for your next iteration. And I have worked with people who uh, were exactly in that situation. They were like, okay, amazing. Like ready for my next one did not take me a long time. And I'm set again for my next three months. I think this is really fantastic as I'm listening to you and listening to uh, your your overall perspectives, but specific to this, the resilience plan. So a couple of things that I know leaders, we have very short attention spans when it comes to doing things for ourselves. <laughs> That's the first thing. Uh, and so we have to be able to get in, kind of get it quickly, but powerfully, and then be able to implement it quickly and see a kind of a immediate effect. Otherwise we're kind of like, well, this didn't really work, right? So I love to hear that you've, you know, your your own experiences, you know, inspired the inspired the structure of the book so that it really is a practical, implementable uh, uh, guide or, or, you know, planning process that can help folks. And the thing that we haven't pulled as much a thread on is, and I'll speak about a little bit from my lens, um, burnout is real. Burnout is, I think most people that I know who are in leadership roles right now are just on the edge of burnout, if not already burned out. You've also talked about through the conversation, you've talked about, you know, this energy. And again, um, I wrote a book called From Empty to Overflow that kind of documented my experience of leading at a very high level, built and led a multi-million dollar organization. And I'm a former Marine, United States Marine. So we just go and go and go and keep going. And then we go some more because that's how we're trained and conditioned. And what I, you know, was working seven days a week, more hours than I think actually were were uh, created in a week. and would be exhaust between exhaust exhaustion and panic attacks. Panic attacks were the things that woke me up at, you know, one or two in the morning and I would start working. And I share that because one of the things that I learned, and MH is like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but it's what I did because that's what we, that was the model of leadership that was held up to me. And, you know, it cost me my health. It cost me my relationships. It cost me everything pretty much. And one of the things that I've heard you say today that I think is such a cautionary or a, a, a reminder, it's not even a cautionary reminder, is that when people are leading at, or performing at high levels, we believe we have an endless supply of energy. We believe we also have an endless supply of great health. And we also believe that we're super sharp when we're managing and multitasking 10,000 things. And I say this because um, the reality is, is that I'll speak for myself and for anyone who might recognize this, we're not making great decisions. We are doing things that are actually very uh, counterproductive with our teams and all relationships really around us because we think we're operating at such a high, amazing level. It's almost like a, it's almost like a, a drug. But in reality, you know, someone who is a drug addict, if you will, the, there's lots of negative impacts that are happening, even though they may appear to be high functioning and functioning well. And so it just reminds me, as you've talked about, you know, you've alluded to burnout, uh, but something that you kept talking about was energy. You know, we we can be exhausted, but we're if we're in these environments that say, 
you know, that other leaders are, you know, getting up and coming to work exhausted. They're getting, they're sick and they're coming to work. And that's, you know, that's a great thing that I think those are also opportunities for people to take a step back and to recognize that mm, 30 years ago, that was not normal. I don't think, I hope it wasn't, <laughs> I don't know. I, I picked it up somewhere, but I, I don't think that that was, I don't think that was normal, uh, a normal way of behaving. So yeah. Any thoughts on that or any thoughts on where you've seen leaders who, you know, are like, oh, I'm the greatest thing. And they're just really things around them are not in good stead. Yes. Well, you are fabulous. That I would argue. Mm. Yes. Yes. Um, you are. And actually call the chapter that way. You're fabulous and at risk. Mm. Meaning mm. that and you're referring to also like, you know, 20, 30 years ago, even for each of us individually. If we're now in a high, in a senior leadership role, we're not 20 today. Right. Like. So some <laughs> of us, maybe, uh, not That's me, true too. Right. but you know, but, yeah. so we're not 20 years old anymore. But when we were 20 years old, uh, we were quite potentially using this approach of endless health, endless energy. It was not true then either. However, we had more at that time that's great. now yeah. since then we've gained in other ways and that's fabulous right but the demands but the reality is that the brain and the body are less uh, uh, able than they were when we were right. 20 that's just normal for all of right. us and we're also facing much bigger higher unexpected demands all day every day we love it so yes we're fabulous we love it this right. is great and we can keep doing this if we pay attention. So I think as, as you said, we want at some point someone, if you're not sure where to go, you're like, okay, yes, I can see burnout from here. I don't have time to think about this. And if you know yourself and you know you're not actually going to carve out the time to think, do what you've probably done for your exercise. If you're in that category, you've booked a personal trainer at some point in your life. I can see it from here. Mm -hmm. Same thing, book someone, anyone, your physician, your nurse practitioner, your mentor, your someone, uh, your executive coach, your psychologist, your employee and family assistance program. Find someone that will help you guide this thinking for you so you can um, change that direction. Because if you can see it yeah. from here, like, you know, think of it. A couple of years ago, you could not, well, maybe a couple of years because we were in a pandemic, but right. a few years ago, you were not seeing it from where you were. Now you can see it from where you are. This means you've been trending down towards it. Right. You just couldn't see it earlier. You were fairly high. Okay. But now it's, it's coming there here. So the very likely next movement of this tendency is to keep going. Right. And so the sooner we catch it, the better. So you can stay fabulous and keep doing what you're doing. I love this conversation and I'm really grateful for you coming on to the room. Um, this is a conversation that more leaders need to have uh, conversations about. And I think something that I just want to, as we wrap up, is to just to attach to what you just said. We when, when we were in our 20s doing what we do at a fabulously high level and extraordinary and all nighters and all that kind of stuff. It was one thing, but when we're in our forties, fifties, sixties, yeah, things don't, there don't function the same way. And I think when you talk about the, the decline to me is more, you know, our bodies are changing, our minds are changing, but the, on the other side, 
you also were saying is that our requirements are increasing. It's increasing because, you know, we talk about AI, we talk about technology, we talk about organizations that contract, right? So that means there's maybe more on my plate to do. I have fewer people to get it done. We have more complex problems. We have global stuff that's happening. And so there's also, there's that. And so the resilience plan, I want everyone, is it, is it, uh, is it pre-order now or is it complete? Is it available? It's pre-order. Pre-order. Okay. First chapter is available. If you just awesome. uh, come to the resilienceplan.com, you'll you'll have the opportunity to click there. But yes, I've uh, uh, just recently started um, giving it as a um, a first part of the book. Excellent. So for all of the leaders that are listening to this podcast, I want to strongly encourage you to check out the resilienceplan.com uh, and get this book. And the reason I say that is. I didn't have the benefit of a book like this. I didn't even have the benefit of a conversation. And that was only 10 years ago. And I led, I led uh, for a little over eight years in a way that completely and dramatically depleted everything. And, uh, and so there's, we have even greater challenges as a result of the pandemic I've talked to people, for example, who are in HR, who were really impacted by the pandemic. And we don't hear a lot of conversation about that because they were the container holders for all of the emotion, all of the challenges, all of that. And so I want to strongly encourage folks to go to the resiliencepland.com and get um, Dr. Peltier's book. Uh, and, you know, just do one thing. Just do one thing, because one thing is better than no things. <laughs> so... Um, so MH, uh, favorite types of clients or that you're looking to work with um, that we can make sure we they can identify themselves in this in this conversation? Ah, well, I'm so lucky to work with so many <laughs> favorite clients, but they tend to fall in that the, the categories that I wrote the book for, uh, which are leaders of all levels. Early, right. middle, senior, Excellent. moving out of senior, and uh, professionals as well. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Well, thank you for again being on the room. Uh, really excited to have you here. Um, all of your ways to get a hold of you, get a hold of your book, will be in the show notes. So make sure that uh, for those of you who are listening, make sure that you visit the show notes and uh, make sure you get a copy of this book. I think it's a uh, it's needed, it's necessary, and it, this is a perfect time for you to include it in, in your life. So, MH, thank you. Thank you, Jenny. It was an absolute uh, pleasure to speak with you. Great, great conversation. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Jenny. Thank you so much for joining me in this week's episode of The Room, a safe place where leaders come together to talk about the things that we don't often share out loud. If you enjoyed your time in The Room, please like or subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a review. And if you want to learn more about our important work with leaders, head over to the website, leaderstransform.com and continue to be connected to our community. Thank you again for listening and make sure you invite someone to next week's episode of The Room.